This is Death by DVD. I am your host, Alexander Nash, and with me as always is my co-host. And I can't really describe him, but the only thing I can tell you is it's so horrible that words cannot describe what I'm seeing right now other than the words Hank. I've told you a thousand times before, it's Hollywood Hank, the nameless, immortal, unknown, shapeless, gelatinous terror, the world's greatest. Not that hard. <laughs> sure. If that's what you want to go with, Hank Cthulhu? Every person in America could easily imagine right now. All those words jumbled together. If you can't tell, we're talking about some Lovecraft. I thought we were going to talk about the rise and fall of Roseanne Barr's career. Oh, zing. That joke is about a year old, but... Good effort, sir. It's even worse because I came up with it while watching The Office and realized that she played Andy's agent. So that joke is even like 12, 13 years past its expiration date. <laughs> I just recently discovered The Office right now in 2020, and I'm watching it for the first time uh, in no order. I refuse to watch it in any form of order. It's, it's better this way, I insist. Well, you better speed it up because it's leaving Netflix soon. I didn't even know it was on Netflix. It's oddly been on Comedy Central every single day since Christmas. So that's where I found it. South Park, too. I'm getting very well educated in, in douches and turds. And What is Comedy Central? It's still around, believe it or not. I, I, basic cable is still around? I watch a lot of cable. I really suck the teat of Ted Turner. I have... I had, don't remember cable at this point. I remember cable internet. I have no idea what you're talking about with... Shows were on TVs, and you had to watch commercials in between. That's fucking bizarre. Yeah, a lot of Domino's ads. Uh, it's it's usually the same thing. It's not as fun as it used to be. And I, I recall in my youth commercials actually being a lot more fun. I don't know if that was a thing. Um, it's, it's odd. The exact same Cadbury commercial that was playing in the 70s is the same one that's playing now. These are facts that you guys need to know for parties, the water cooler, all, all sorts of things that you'll use in your daily life. Uh, Cadbury facts. And coincidentally enough, um, so many Michael Bloomberg ads, and he's still going with the politics of the 70s. Yeah, it is ridiculously hard to illegally rip audio from YouTube without being interrupted by a fucking Mike Bloomberg ad these days. It's really getting <laughs> on my fucking nerves. Uh, it's just everywhere you go, this cocksucker's face. I'm not going to vote for you, you prick. I, I don't care. I, and no matter how many times Patton Oswalt tries to make me think Elizabeth Warren's who I need to vote for, you're, you're wrong. 
you're wrong and you're becoming somewhat insufferable and you might need to stop Patton Oswald, please, for the love of God. Just go back to being uh, on King of Queens. What have I told you about being on Twitter? Get off Twitter. I can't stand it every time. And I got the little notifications. It pops up. Patton Oswald wants you to vote for Elizabeth Warren. <sighs> Way to go. Thanks, Patton. Somebody that I, I thought that we could trust. We, we thought we could trust you. You're a bastard. <laughs> I wouldn't go quite that far, but uh, let's let's just do this. Let's just do this show, Hank. All right, yeah, we're not talking about Roseanne. We're gonna, we yeah, we were gonna talk about Lovecraft, but now it's gonna be um the the discourse of the first season of King of Queens to now. So the show begins with um, how does the show begin? Oh wait, no, there. Shut he's, your he's, fucking He's redecorating mouth, his basement, right? About King's Queen. All right yeah, I will right. not talk about that show. False intro. I don't think I've ever seen an entire episode of that show, but I find Kevin James insufferable. I think that's why I continued watching it almost as some sort of uh, like Catholic-style penance. That I had to just insist I'd become funnier than that by watching every episode. Three Hail Marys and six episodes of uh, King of Queens. Yeah, it's suffrage. It's really awful. It's it's, but you got to do it sometimes. It's help you. It helps you grow. It helps you create. It helps you wash away that sin and creates all kinds of new, disgusting, weird sin. It's no Paul Blart mall cop. I guess we can thank the world for tiny favors. It's sad. So many people decide to commit suicide, but Kevin James wasn't one of them. Rest in peace, Harvey Weinstein. Dark. Oh, wait, he's not dead yet. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. All right, so we're going to talk about a movie that I saw over a month ago and have just been waiting and waiting and waiting. I had to wait for it to come out. I I really I I was (laughs) fucking crushed. Um, And I I actually cried a little bit when I found out that there was no way I was going to make it to a a screening anywhere nearby this movie. Because any town USA is not centrally located to a fucking uh, grindhouse theater or a draft house or anything fun. Anything fun at all. It might actually be inside the Bible Belt. But I waited until it was released and got the disc the day it came out and have watched it a few times since then. And, God, we've even gotten literary for this. Both I had to learn how to read um, to understand. I listened to a book on tape because it was easier for me. It took an hour as opposed to me, like, fumbling through it for two and a half hours. I went through a month of Hooked on Phonics courses to learn how to read, and I didn't realize I could have just listened to it, but it's at least I can read now, so I actually will be responding on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. That that will be me. We will no longer be using a trained chimpanzee. All right, so we're going to talk about Richard Stanley's The Color Out of Space, and I'm going to call it Richard Stanley's Color Out of Space because... Uh, I think he owns the story for the most part. Yeah, it's a Lovecraft story, but, you know, he updates it. This he does his thing Stanley's. with it. I think that's a good way to really kick things off and, and start with it, because that's uh, I watched The Making Of, which all of you can also watch if you buy the disc. And uh, in the, the Making Of feature, Richard Stanley kind of says, you know, I'm just happy to be back in the director's chair, and what I wanted to do was update this for a new generation and without so many words, I'm paraphrasing here, he kind of quaintly brought up that most gener- this new generation isn't really, you know, the sit down and read a book type. So he incorporated a lot of that, and I think it added to a new atmosphere. Uh, trans- you know, it, at one, po- one aspect of me thinks that a translation and updating it for a newer generation kind of strips some of the fear of H.P. Lovecraft, but on other examinations and looking closer at it, I think 
you know, it, it might even explore the fantastical nature and a lot of the faceless, nameless, uh, shapeless terrors that, you know, make up the, the core of Lovecraft stories and why well, some of it's so difficult. So it's, it's that's, I, I don't know, I think he did more good than what I originally thought was kind of meh. That's kind of the thing about Lovecraft stories, though. They're not only, like, as he says in his, his writings, it's indescribable. Well, it's also unfucking filmable for the most part because what made Lovecraft stories important, engaging, and have managed to maintain a hundred years in the public eye is the fact that how they're written and the language he uses and the trip he takes you on. But he never really gets into much detail of what's happening particularly. So when people are making Lovecraft properties, they tend you tend to have to kind of run with an idea and then try to visualize that idea from what your interpretation of the story is, because what's enjoyable Lovecraft and it, it kind of goes the same thing for um, other writers. This like isn't Kurt in Vonnegut. all instances either though. I mean, because sometimes Lovecraft um, with also Vonnegut going into that. So I don't uh, take away your comment. Uh, he can explain quite a bit like Call of Cthulhu is somewhat detailed to the point he did sketches and had a, a whole idea of, of really what he wanted to show you with his words. Um, and like, when uh, Kurt Vonnegut's character goes to Traflagar in Slaughterhouse Five, there's little to no detail, but you get to explore his bird cage and this, you know, a place he's been put inside of almost as a pet to to live and survive. So you get brief glimpses of things, but not full glimpses of things. But kind of my point is with like Vonnegut and to a certain extent, like uh, author like Chuck Palahniuk, it's not so much of what is in the writing it's how it's written because with kurt vonnegut it's the journey you're taking on the way to the end it's not the end you're getting to this is not in night Shyamalan. it's not about a twist it's not about story it's about how he writes the story and the language that he uses and the, the humor that he can uh, like throw in there because when you try to visualize kurt vonnegut humor it just turns out like watch any kurt vonnegut filmed uh, book or story and they're usually not very good. Well, another reference that you can just add into is Bill Burroughs, William S. Burroughs, especially oh, Naked yeah. Lunch. I mean, David Cronenberg certainly did something with Naked Lunch, but it's still not really Naked Lunch. It's it's a great interpretation, I think, or uh, a good basis on. But something like Richard Stanley's The Color Out of Space, I think, you know, it it obtains its own title as it being Richard Stanley's own creation, but at the same time, I think it's homages and it's. Uh, playment of Lovecraft's original property, his original story, is kind of unique because uh, at first glance it didn't seem there, and it you know I, not even just uh, it just didn't seem there, and it's something I really think that is is very important to the story. Is you familiarize yourself with the short story, or at least glance over it, speed read it, find it on tape, uh, hear it, and then you know examine this movie and look at all the things that uh, he was able to combine and update and really force into your perspective that otherwise would have been lost in a sprawling narrative of how beautiful the trees in this area of New England were until they started to grow strange growths with withering arms and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and <clears throat> with Lovecraft's writing specifically, he, is really, he was really good at instilling fear of the unknown and the mysterious and he would throw drop some details and like idea concepts in there, but it was up to your imagination to kind of fill in all those gaps. So when you are visualizing a Lovecraft property, you have to have an imagination. And some people have been able to do that over the years. I think Stuart Gordon has done a like pretty good job for the most part. I mean, 
he usually doesn't have the money to really uh, do like Lovecraft a whole lot of justice, but I mean, he gets the tone and the idea correct. At and its if core, you go... I think Reanimator is probably the most acknowledged and well-known Lovecraft sort of uh, retelling. So I mean, I, I guess he would be at the the top of the list for everybody because I mean, God, like I referenced one a few months ago. I think it was the Dunwich Horror from the 70s uh, and then you know there's a sci-fi remake of that also that has dean stockwell and both, and both crap. of them yeah there's just loads of even from the uh, early 40s onwards i guess not even 40s maybe late 50s and onwards uh just a, a mass amount of lovecraft properties that were made loosely into films and a lot of them with boris karloff and beloved horror actors and once you got into the 80s, it kind of it stopped a little bit till we get to something you want to talk about later. And then going into the 90s, I mean, it was a, a kind of a free for all with Full Moon and multiple other similar companies that were, you know, as cheaply possible retelling these stories. And it, there's been a, like one or two, I think, good tellings of Call of Cthulhu. I can't remember who did it or what year it came out, but there was that black, I don't know, like 2007, 2006, that black and white one, which was mm-hmm. a, an interesting nor retelling of of a story that they really captured but one of the problems is people overemphasizing capturing the words of H.P. Lovecraft where a lot of the imagery should be translated and that brings us you know into Richard Stanley again well I mean like even like a lot of people really enjoyed that Call of Cthulhu movie and I thought it was it was done really well like what I, I remember conceptually I was really behind the movie, uh, the fact they're going for like a, a black and white uh, silent film kind of look for it and a lot of people are going to probably shit on color out of space for being an update it's like well if you want to do true lovecraft it's got to be like you know the 1800s and like the 1910s and shit it's just like the only thing that that i thought would have been kind of unique is it's expressly referenced in the story that the incident took place in the 80s and i thought it would have been kind of a funny nod to have had this story take place in like the 1980s and that being the updated version well it basically was for christ's sake yeah i mean you take away i don't there was i mean outside of the internet which doesn't play a huge part into it outside of one of the coolest references uh, in the entire movie which uh, you told me to look forward to and i got so fucking happy when i finally found it no flesh shall be spared it's true look it up there was i guess it, it did have more of a timeless feel to it but making something expressly 1980s would have taken a lot more budget and again that's incredibly popular right now and over inflated and i don't think it would have played into the actual visual so again that's like it was in the story which it seems to be a lot of people's problems is these big discrepancies that i think are all actually there everything people have an issue with seem to be in the story i mean i i'm not it's done kind of differently in this version which is not always a bad thing cuz what richard stanley was able to do was to take the property and really visualize all of these different things to make them engaging to a modern audience. And if you really get hung up on the time period that Lovecraft wrote in and you want it to be set in those time periods, it's just, it's, I don't think it's going to resonate with, with the general public as well. I mean, it, it wouldn't resonate with me as well. Cause I don't want to watch a bunch of dudes in suits and like on a farm examining a meteor. And especially the way his stories are written being, um, told by, a. Uh, a first-person account a for the most part. It's a, a narrative within a narrative, you know. And Richard Stanley does add aspects of that in there as well, but he doesn't carry the narration through the entire film. But let's, I mean, we've kind of been skating around it a little bit and just talking about Lovecraft, but first of all, I will say Color Out of Space was well, before a you get too deep, pretty um, excellent film. I don't want to interrupt you one last time. I, I don't want to be condescending and say that people don't watch things closely enough. 
But from a lot of reviews and you know quick glances, just within a few days of this being released on mass market media, I think most people didn't really watch it closely enough, or maybe understand the original story as well as they thought they did. So, you know, again, I don't want to be cuntish with with a comment like that, but I do think uh, you should examine the story and the film and look at both of them, and I think it's beyond an adequate interpretation. Well, I, I think a lot of people. When they hear Lovecraft, they have very large expectations of what is a possibility. And I think when Richard Stanley got involved, that also changed things. Like, oh, what what kind of crazy is it to come up with this time? And it's like, well, he made a movie. It's probably his most like I don't want the word competent is not what I want to use. It's more along the lines of his I guess most commercial film. His most driven, maybe. Made. I mean, it it definitely has. Everything is very connected. Everything is shown for a reason. Everything is very present for a reason. And I'm not saying that's that's not true with Dust Devil or Hardware. And they're not lazier movies. You know, maybe it's just that this is Richard Stanley now, and this is the reality of Richard Stanley now. And the films that he made as a younger man were definitely under the experience and inspiration of him being a younger man and what he knew. And most people are going to look at that, and you get a head exploding. If you, I mean, and I have actually wanted that. Like, man, Richard Stanley fucking could blow up some heads. I'd love this. You get head explodes. You know, it's great. And when I looked at it the first time, I was like, man, there's just something missing. It doesn't have this Richard Stanley feel. And the second time I watched it, there's a lot of subtleties down to the soundtrack, down to um, a lot of influence of of symbols and symbolism and design. I mean, a, a swastika shows up right in the very beginning of the movie, but it's Barbie doll legs, so you don't really pay attention to it. And the use of ritualistic magic, references to Aleister Crowley and uh, Alexandrian magic. There's just a lot of unique aspects of him and his individuality and his previous work and all of it melding together that I think does have a ridiculous touch making it uniquely Richard Stanley. Um, so overall, I mean, I'll just give it a rating now and then we'll get further discussion of, you know, aspects of the movie. I would say it's a, it's a solid four out of five. Um, I really did enjoy it. I think Richard Stanley did a um, tremendous job for the most part. I had some issues here and there where we'll discuss throughout the show. But overall, I thought it was a pretty rewarding experience. And as Hank was saying earlier, like to me earlier off air, it, it's an hour and 50 minute movie. And he felt like it went by at 90 minutes. And I felt the same way. It goes by rather quick. And it's a very slow paced story, actually. It's just for you to actually get to some of the more ins like insane levels of what's getting ready to happen, it, it takes a while to get there. It's a slow burn, but it's never like a boring slow burn. It doesn't leave you behind where you're just like checking your watch. You're actually interested in like what's getting ready to happen because I know something's getting ready to happen. It's an H.P. Lovecraft story, so where are we going with this? And for the most part, he does deliver. Um, but yeah issues we'll get into some full spoilers here shortly i what would your overall rating of the movie be i i definitely agree with issues and you know overall i think there's a lot of things missing with even an hour and 50 minutes there's a lot of things missing i'd sit through hell for richard stanley though i have a full agreeance with four out of five I, okay there's so. you know it's and and most of my issues are a bit superficial but unfortunately you know trying to be constructive i have issues and and like, look, I love Dust Devil, but even trying to be constructive with that, four out of five, just being really, really honest, four out of five. I might give Hardware a higher rating despite liking Dust Devil more, just because Hardware is, I wouldn't say a more put-together and coherent movie, but I think it 
definitely can have a wider effect on an audience than Dust Devil. I think Dust Devil has a lot of mythology that you don't need to have knowledge for to enjoy, but it would help, and certain people's beliefs might not make that possible. Yeah, so I like overall, I'd say this is on par with hardware. I would get a hardware probably a four out of five. I'd probably give Dust Devil a four and a half or a five out of five um, just because of how fucking intensely deep that film is. Yeah, I mean, personally, my my personal rating has to be the highest, but just being constructive, I have to take points away, especially for, you know, we are lucky that we've seen the Ultimate Edition and the Great Edition, and most people have seen the work print or whatever was put out by um, Miramax, and that's very unfortunate. So, uh, just to get in, if you've not seen the movie, I'm sorry, and we will just randomly, I'm not going to give you a plot synopsis of what's going on. I'm going to assume that you've seen the movie as we go through this. It's so, a good point he, to maybe stop and go watch it or tune out or go listen to one of our many other episodes uh, right now and come back later on. And then you can listen to this thing and really, you know, get the full flavor of it. Yeah, because we're going to be going all over the fucking place. And we're not going to no just start and tell it. you at the beginning about the meteor landing. Um, I mean, we could do that... this back and forth comparison, but you could just right now go to Google and type in uh, the Color Out of Space movie versus story, and there's a lot of actually decent informative articles that will help you do that. So, I mean, you could even quickly go do that before you listen to the rest of this. It's up to you. I'm not your fucking boss. So visually, I think the movie um, really hit a note, uh, especially with the visualization of the quote-unquote color out of space. Um, able, able to visualize something that is um, kind of alien and undescribed in the book and do it in that way and also make it very beautiful um, and really kind of engaging. And one of the drawbacks of this movie is I mean, this is no points against the movie itself, but one of the problems is the movie Annihilation came out last year, and they are very similar stories. And what they did with Annihilation is very similar to kind of contrast to compare to this film. So it doesn't seem quite as um, breakthrough just because you had that film, which has an incredibly similar story, come out last year. So that can kind of... Uh, kind of color your opinion of the film if you've seen annihilation and really enjoyed it. it's like well this is kind of the same thing it is but i mean it's based on a lovecraft story this has been going on which stanley's been trying to make this film since 2011 so it's definitely not like a ripoff but it is very similar in nature even down to the visuals um i thought the music was uh, pretty good um the music was one of the things i thought was distinctly richard stanley when i watched the movie a second time and uh you know evaluated his other works it has a very familiar ring to it and i help i i feel it helps add i don't know it it adds something very soothing to the context of the movie that allows you to really rearrange yourself and to not question things i don't know it it, it obviously helps with with the movie well, I thought it could have gone a little bit further with the music because um, a month later, I don't remember much about the soundtrack. I remember liking it for the most part when I was watching the film. But um, if they could have pushed it just slightly further with the music, um, not so many like down, not so much downtime. If you could have gone with something like a Tangerine Dream, See, I like the, the natural nature of it because it. I mean, not trying to compare things uh, back and forth with the story so much but even with the beginning of the movie you get a good look into these forests and and the whole backdrop of what 
this be- beautiful desolation is supposed to be, and a good portion of the Lovecraft story is, is describing how far out this place is and how ancient and how beautiful the woods are and just the little bit of twinkles and, uh, you know, starlight sounds that we got, almost this weird kind of Enya natural music sort of thing, you know, Moby's porcelain, that then just dying and going away. I really liked how natural it felt to me, and that just kind of gave me something to play with in my mind to fill, you know, the silence. But I I understand, too, uh, filling it a little bit more would have made it uh, tension a little bit tighter, something that, I mean, definitely, which we've discussed a lot with your taste and things that you're really into, that tightness and, and things firing on all pins. And I like it. I like a little chaos. Yeah, I didn't dislike the music. I just thought it could have been a little bit fuller with music and uh, more of an other like the soundtrack that is there is good but i thought it just needs to be more of it and it needs like some otherworldly sort of tones to it like i was saying before about like tangerine dreams something very synthetic very like synthesizers um just pretty heavy and not in just like that let's remake an 80s movie synthesizer soundtrack that's in everything now but like just something very bold and broad but again not a big huge problem for me um, Nicholas Cage. Yeah, let's talk about the uh, the fucking coke addicted elephant in the room. Okay, um, here's probably where the movie really didn't get the five for me, and I'm I'm gonna straight up agree with you. He's a little cagey for me. I love Nick, and I think one of the biggest excitements, and you said this uh, said this to me before the show. I I think you you know got excited for certain things. One of the things I really got excited for and felt let down over was Nicolas Cage that, you know, we all saw Mandy and we all still have boners over Mandy. And I felt that this was kind of, you know, the follow up to, you know, amazing Nick Cage and Mandy. And he does his, you know, song and dance and he does it well. And it's it's just a bit. And I, I mean, and let's going back to the story here. A lot of the characters are explained that they go insane and, and what has happened with this meteorite crashing and becoming part of their environment and their farm and their water is causing you know them to change and, and possibly metamorphose into something else. And while that's happening slightly on screen, you mostly are dealing with just, you know, Nick Cage going bananas and it's great watching him he's always he's it's not like he's bad doing it it's not like uh Bangkok but he's just doing he's doing the Nicolas Cage thing again and like it's with really Mandy I think he dialed it back a good portion for that film as you know broad as he does get in that movie at times I think he still was able to dial it back in this movie and I know Richard Stanley like loved um, him and Vampire's Kiss and kind of wanted some of that performance but he starts doing that weird talking nasally through his nose thing he does in vampire's kiss and he gets his he playing... accent like two or three times in the movie it's like early like nick coppola you know comes out and it's it's very odd it's it's a different it's person and then it goes like back from his valley boy thing to just like very crazed coked out mad and as he like begins to decay which you know it, it's it's much more clear what's happening to them when you reference the lovecraft story and what visually is shown is you, you need to pay attention to it. You need to watch all of these characters start to change. But Nick just doesn't really change. It's just like, I don't well, know. He I'll does, do... but it's, it's, a, it's kind of like the Jack Nicholson thing from The Shining. Oh, shit. When you uh, hire Nicolas Cage. So I was, was going to interrupt you to say, like, he's just doing Jack Nicholson. So okay, we're on fucking exact point with, you know, the, it's not a downer. He's a little but... too crazy to be when he's normal. And then when he goes, like, you know, he's battling with, like, being insane throughout the film. It's just like, okay, we're doing Nicolas Cage But he starts over the top. You know, he, he starts as, like, a, a very highly excitable, a little bit of, like, an 80s. 
So he has to get bigger, guy. and that's what I'm saying, though. He just has to get bigger from where he already was supposed to be normal. And Nicolas Cage, that big at times, is just like, okay, you're kind of falling back on your Nicolas Cage shit. And then you're he's just surrounded. Doing the thing. Well, he's surrounded by very subtle, delicate performances of a, a chaotic family, or not chaotic family, but a story of chaos uh, coming on the onto this family. You know, it's, it's and that's really where the the focal point comes into play of of the horror in the movie. Is it's you know a, a uh, something breaking in pretty much to this family's life. And that's like the horror aspect of things. And all the other characters are pretty normal. You know, everyone else is trying to react to this insanity. And it's like, well, what am I believing here? Are they just used to him going over the top about alpacas? Or is is where there was no real player development or growth with his character. We were just given like, here's Nick Cage. It's early in the afternoon and he's a little bit, you know, waking up. And then he wakes up progressively and just, you know, goes batshit. And that's about it. Yeah, and it's just, I mean, you're pretty much guaranteed that when you get Nicolas Cage into a film. I just wish he had dialed it back slightly, but I did really enjoy Julia Richardson's performance. I think she had precisely the right tone. Like, even when she starts going insane, it's this very quiet insanity. And, like, there's that humorous bit where she cuts her finger off. And it's it's terrifying, but also incredibly funny. And a lot of it's due to her performance and how she speaks the lines of just dinner's ready. I think I was expecting Nicolas Cage, the actor, and not just, and here's Nicolas Cage, uh, play music, you know, stage left. So, and that happens. I mean, maybe it's just every few years on the full moon we can get him to actually do a performance. And I'm not, again, I'm just being a sarcastic cunt with this, but it really was what caught me throughout even my second viewing of the movie of, like, I just wish he wasn't being so Nick Cage. Just be a normal Dial person. Dial back a little bit, man. Just a little... Stop doing the weird voice. Well, you start you stop appreciating sort of the fantastical nature and the bizarre horror that is unfolding around you because you're just watching him, you know, go bananas and you're expecting Nick Cage and what is something to pay attention to is what's unfolding and what's happening and all of this horror is displayed very beautifully. And that's something that I think is is 100% from H.P. Lovecraft himself because reading the story, you can just transport yourself into this lost sacred archaic old forest and what Richard Stanley managed to do with his use of color was just absolutely invade your senses and give you a a graphic display of of, it was an unnameable color that we had never seen before and what you're dealing with in the story uh, unfolds obviously a lot more different than in the movie that all these scientists like you had referenced and uh, professors come out to see what's happening on the farm and they end up cracking a piece of the meteorite which unveils and lets out this um, color, this unnameable color, which uh, goes into the water, goes into the, the farm, goes mostly into their well, and from there on stretches and does whatever. And in the movie, there's a lightning storm, and from there on out, it's a lot. It's not necessarily left up to you and your imagination, but it's watching what's unfolding. And a lot of liberties had to have been taken with what you were dealing with because you're not given a clear grasp of what happens to the family. It's told from two different people's perspectives uh, and a hand-me-down story. And what you're looking at here is your perspective of what's going on with this family and what's happening to them at the farmhouse. So, of course, you have to fill in the blanks. Well, what I will, like, congratulate Stanley on is being able to make something that takes place on a farm outdoors most of the time. And at the same time, it's an incredibly claustrophobic film. We don't really leave this acreage of the farm. We're pretty much trapped there with the family and the insanity that starts to unveil there. And like to be able to do that much claustrophobia in such a wide open environment is 
it's pretty masterfully done by Stanley. Um, as far as the special effects, I mean, there's some very definite uh, John Carpenter's The Thing references in this film. Um, very broad references to her opponent. Like that, I mean, I, I love the homages, but I don't know. I, I wanted a lot more exploration with what we were going to see with the mutations. But at the same time, you're given a completely unique and new exploration of things with what happens to the, the mother and the youngest child. So, you know, what I can say, eh, I wish they'd have done more with. Again, really, they did do more. It just is all examining what perspectives needed to be shown. And I think the direction it ended up taking with exploring the mutations of people over, let's do a different cat and a woodchuck and a bunch of different things, you would have missed the point with cool creature effects instead of seeing what the true horror was. Oh, yeah. I mean, because the horror is is the family and how it's affecting the family. And if we get too much into like what's going on with the wood life and all that shit, just, it would have gotten to the point of absurdity. Well, that's even covered point. though. I mean, um, war oh, it's mentioned. Definitely. It's just, we're not focusing heavily on every little aspect of it. Like just the fact that you see that bug. I mean, I think um, you get a, a great well. clear picture of that though, because Ward goes back and is talking to Tommy Chong and brings up the cat. And he says, the next time you see her, I don't think you'll recognize her. And you do get a brief glimpse of the cat later running across the street. You've got the bug like you just referenced. But alone, too, you have the color. And that's something that is deeply used in the story. Is just it's a, we, we can't explain it. It's the color. But at the very end of the story, one of the characters explains when he opens a door that this almost you know gas-like force moved past him and moved down the stairs. And there's a strange occurrence. He hears screaming, and then there's a splash in the well almost like something returned into it. And you don't really think about it at first because you see this color and you think it's almost like radiation and you don't realize that it's almost like its own present force and it's moving delicately throughout the movie once it becomes present. And so whenever you've got that hue and that shift of color, it's almost like an entity, like it's got a mind of its own. And some of the notions that were left out of the movie were you know, the, the professors that took it back to Arkham could not figure out what it was. They tried to melt it with all sorts of things, and eventually it just kind of disappeared, almost like it fed enough to get out. So it's pretty much a living thing. And again, that's where you can really get into the thing references here, and then it goes full tilt boogie with the uh, giant alpaca. Well, yeah, I mean, that was very much a reference to the dog scene in uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, and w- let's get it. And if we get into the mother and son melding, which is a very strong dramatic shift in the film of really try, like visualizing pain and the change that the colors bring on people and the pain of this family. And I did have not a problem with this. I thought it was kind of expertly done the way he uh, diffused the mother and the, the child together. But later in the film, one of the things I was disappointed in was he didn't put like Stanley didn't push it. I think as far as he could have um, because there's the scene where, you know, the mother is suffering like melded with this child. Um, and they're like in the attic and they're crying and just, you know, just an absolute fucking chaotic misery. And I thought when cage is kicking the other kids out of the room, what did you think he was getting ready to do? He's going to put her out of her misery, you know, euthanasia. Nope. Oh, did you think he was going to fuck her? Yep. Oh yeah, well you know, and that would have really, really should have gone that direction. I do. I well, think you know, he really should have 
I, I honestly, my mind never went there until you know that the wheels just turned there because it would have really played well into the beginning of the movie and the cancer aspect and him still yes. accepting her after her quote yes. unquote change. That would have, and you know, again, I, I I feel a lot of this movie isn't just just Richard Stanley, and I I don't know how to say it nicely, and I don't want to say Specter Vision stepped in or somebody did this or somebody did that. But I do feel that there has to be a longer, more coherent idea here that um, you know just didn't get to happen. But it's not like the Isle of Dr. Moreau, so I don't want to say it negatively or you know add some fucking bullshit conspiracy theory to something that's not necessary. But it definitely could have had a different approach. Uh, and I even feel without something as extreme, that, that melding of the two characters... Could I mean it? It was all great practical effects, and I loved what we were were given and the eventual transformation. But I would have liked not maybe just more screen time, but just a little bit more, you know, gooey, slithery, nasty, you know, in the corner, uh, screaming, just something to build the tension with that a little bit more, because it quickly just goes upstairs, and then you've got a whole aspect of the story that is not, or this this story, the the film, Richard Stanley's Color Out of Space, compared to the Lovecraft story, that he has introduced a kind of time warp angle that time is now uh, time electromagnet fields all these things are now displaced because of what's happening to their environment because of the meteorite crash and that's really not present in the story whatsoever so that's a lot where i referenced earlier him taking liberties to kind of fill in the holes here but by doing that it it gets a little and it it seems to be diffusing the the intensity and the horror in the wrong way because you start wondering like what's the time warp out what is or is it a time warp now what's happening and you lose the fear of the entity home invasion um, story with with literally and that's what it is their home is being invaded by an alien you know that was the concept and it starts to really go into this metaphysical time warp you know like i just said thing and you lose a lot of driving focus right around i guess like the 45 minute hour mark when the whole alpaca thing happens where he you know goes to put the alpacas away and they get back out and you find out the youngest son is talking to a weird man in the well possibly and the story begins to unfold uh, from there but i just feel that whole concept of time being diffused and not being the same reality shifts a lot of what you needed to focus on with the the color being its own you know home invader entity michael myers kind of thing yeah i think but if you would do that a little, if you did that too much it would <clears throat> it would i don't know i think it would just end up losing a lot more of the the lucid nightmare that that the story that stanley presented well, yeah that's, i mean he it's... had to fill in the hole somehow i mean so i mean this is just the way it was handled and done i just for, for me even with the second viewing i get a little drawn into that and start wondering more about well what's going on here than directing my attention to you know the actual fear and and, and whatever the color is and what's going on to the family so what do you say are you on team uh Cage should have fucked the mutant with me. Yeah, I really think I am. I yeah, I yeah. It would push. I think it would push the movie into new like stratospheres of just like. And I mean, holy got, fuck, where is this going? I mean, that's Dust Devil takes you into turns like that, where you know the Dust Devil's having sex with one of his victims and breaks her neck, and and, and his whole hunt for the the loneliness just to capture a, a lonely, broken soul, the the scary, seductive man in black, and with something like hardware. It creeps into angles like that. I mean, obviously, that movie was a little bit more uh, mass-produced, I guess you could say. You know, it was it was driven more by Weinstein Company and, and Miramax, or Miramax at the time. Uh, and 
it, it lost a lot of the natural flavor. So, I mean, I think this, just trying to delicately say it, too, was a product of that, that it lost a lot of its flavor because, you know, producers and, you know, nothing against David Gregory or Spectre Vision. I just, you know, maybe a lot more Richard Stanley. But again, I referenced at the beginning of the show, too, that was a young Richard Stanley's product. So maybe he's cooled down a little bit. I don't know. Mutant fucking would have been horrifying. You're right. Well, it would also have brought that well, whole thing, the whole part story of it. together. Ah. You know what I mean? I mean, I know it's really fucked up because yeah. his kids fused in there, and but it, it is a really fucked up concept. But that's though. the thing. That's the it, point. It's really fucked up. It's that's the. I mean, because he's going insane. There. That's the point. I yeah. It, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. That would have been just an absolutely bad shit direction to take it in. And when it brought the whole story together of hit the love he had for his wife and this, this the cancer angle that Stanley threw in, which I'm pretty sure was a reference to his mother. Um, who was dying of yes. cancer at one point. I figured the same. Craft together. So um, just to put that aspect in there would just really take the movie to, to like very, very fruity. Dimensions. And, you know, it's 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 definitely a hard, hard right turn. So that's I mean, it's something, too, I can understand not being included if it ever was an angle outside of of what we've talked about on this show. If I mean, just saying if it could have been something that was a part of the movie. I can really understand, you know, not just censors, but producers and everyone else involved kind of not being all right with that. And then mostly I'd feel just because the, the kid was in. I mean, and these are aspects. Yeah, I of mean, the it's story. really fucked up, but it you get back to that Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, Toby Hooper idea of I don't know if I can trust this person who is making this movie. Um and I think that element in the film would really put a lot of mistrust in Richard Stanley as a director for the audience. And I think that mistrust would be good. I, I think maybe some of the problem is people already have a lot of mistrust with Richard Stanley <laughs> as a director. Like, you know, there is quite a lot of stigma around But you him. know what I mean? Within yeah. the frame of the film, though, like of what he's possibly going to show me further in this. And he wouldn't have to take anything further after you take Yeah, it you wouldn't have to do he shit. Have the, movie the exact same way that he finished it um, with his final product that we saw. That would have just been all she wrote. You wouldn't have had to shown any further um, insanity at all because, I mean, what you're led to believe is, is I guess, where, where me, uh, the simpleton, thought the story was going to go, that he was, you know, just going to execute her. But when he leans in afterwards and, you know, you've got that sloppy, nasty, you know, gooey Jeff Goldblum and the fly kiss thing going on, all the KY jelly in the world. Um, yeah. It, yeah, it would have just gone. I mean, that would have melted. wouldn't have to take, like, been graphic with it, but if you just, like, alluded to it because of the implication, if you just implied what was going on, I think that would just have turned everything and, you know, fucking loose. It really, too, would have driven more into his uh, changing, his metamorphosis, because, I mean, obviously they would have been together, so he would have been, you know, involved with all the fluids and goo and whatnot, and it would have maybe changed him, and we could have gotten a double monster thing. But the overall effect of what happens with the mother and what you're, what you're given toward the end of the movie, I thought was fucking great. I, I and I thought that was oh, it's frightening as shit, just because yeah. of how sad it is more than anything. I think, I mean, the sadness on top of it, but I think that was just a capitalizing um, moment of taking these unseeable, horrific things that Lovecraft never really explained to you and putting a face to it and putting a a notion to it. And a lot of the time, I guess you just get this, I mean, because a lot of his stories involve underwater gods, you just get this aspect of tentacles, and you don't get any real face to it or any monstrosity to it. And what Richard Stanley was able to do with using these practical effects and creating this monstrosity was truly put horror to the idea of the story and, and take away 
some of the cute aspect, you know, because Cthulhu and all these these stories have been, uh, you know, monopolized where you can get, get a little plushy Cthulhu and it's a cute, you know, little elder god thing. And this was truly returning to the horror, the the the, the frightening it's not aspect. Cute. <laughs> yeah, there's no. It is very disturbing. Adorable. And um, that plays. That works. And like, if you just want to go on comparisons alone, uh, this story was done at least once before in the 1980s by director uh, David Keith and uh, with Lucio Fulci helping um, called The Curse or as it was originally titled The Farm. And it's the exact same story done in a lot more B-movie exploitation way. And I think Stan, what Stanley was able to achieve was to bring back, like bring a mysticism to it. Because the story in itself, when it's done very dry and he very brought blandly, a mysticism like as well curse. as realism. Oh yeah, um, but if you go, if you reference the curse and you see really where they took it, it ended up being mutated psychopaths, worms and apples, and it really doesn't get to that like primordial disturbance. It's more of just kind of horror thrills, and it has some a few gross out moments and stuff, but it doesn't have that Lovecraftian gross out moment. And I think Stanley was able to achieve a lot of that and bring a lot of the um, kind of the unknowing, unknown fear to the story. So you can look at it in both ways with this film and that film and compare and contrast and see um, somebody who understands Lovecraft and knows how to kind of tell the story filmically, the story filmically, as opposed to somebody who's doing it just kind of on an exploitation sort of like concept and idea and see really what a masterwork that uh, Stanley's created here because the story itself is not, I mean, it's an interesting idea, but if you don't know what you're doing, you end up with the curse, which isn't by all means, not a terrible film at all, but it's just kind of, it's a little plain and bland. It's very eighties, but I would still somewhat recommend that film. Um, it's probably the best out of the, the curse series because those just intermediately get worse and worse as you go throughout the, the, the series of let's slap the curse title on this one next. Uh, well, I think too, we could go plays... into a whole episode about curse movies, Hank, if you want to, there's always a new fresh road down to hell. We can take, we, we still haven't done every episode. We keep saying uh, it's going to be video nasties too. We still have 70 some odd more episodes to, to keep going, but beast and heat has kept us stalled. It's, just <laughs> it's so hot i guess i don't know it's it's a it's a rough movie um i think one of uh, the unique things about richard stanley's masterwork and uh and i definitely i like the, the phrasing that you've used with that and i like you know kind of calling this a, a a masterpiece because it truly is i think the definitive retelling of an hp lovecraft story and i think with a comparison that you just outlined one of the the interesting things is looking at the attention to detail that people decided to take. So you have an exploitation piece that wanted to focus on the mutations and what, you know, is a really horrifying part of the story. And it's something I brought up earlier, Stanley's choices of, you know, giving you the subtle nod where um, Ezra says, and the next time you see G-Spot, it won't look like her. You get an understanding that these things are happening, but they're not being exploited, and you're allowed to understand that these mutations are happening. And yeah, when you're given the alpaca monster, it's a, a horrifying, brutal scene, which is topped later by the, the mother-son monster. But it was the choice points that Stanley decided to make and the attention to detail in the story. So instead of taking you know, all of these monster things that you could just run with and turn, I mean, that could have fully been the outcome of the movie, which is pretty much what the outcome of the Will Wheaton film is. 
the um the David Keith or was it Keith David? It was David Keith, the David Keith, David uh, Keith. Lucio Fulci second unit director film. I, I have not. You mentioned it to me earlier, and all I could remember was oh, Picard's son's in it, right? Yeah, I think I've seen it. Picard, Picard's son. Was he he's not Wesley Picard's Crusher? Son? No, he's the Doctor Beverly Crusher. I thought they son. fucked you know nothing and about had a kid. Shit. I thought that's what happened—that they fucked and had a kid, and then the kid got in a lot of trouble, and, no. him and his dog solved mysteries. She's a single mother. I think that might be Scooby Doo too. Yeah, I don't think. How are you a single mother in space? Watch some next you gen. Hooking up with. All right. Yeah, I don't. I'm not a Star Trek fan. I'm not a, any of the star things. I'm not a fan of. I like Dune. I like Jihad in Space. That's a, that's a, that shows something about me. I like pain and suffering. Tell me the story where the guy becomes a giant worm. Dune. Well, well, I mean, in the uh, David Keith version, it was Italian finance film, so you can already tell that it's probably not. The, yeah, it's got to focus on the exploitation. Production. Oh yeah, but that it, was I mean, my point. That was I was talking about the... that. Sorry. The, the the mutation that it focuses on it ends up being like a lot of boils like maggots explode out of a cow's like boil on its side the they put some like some goopy makeup on like, and what you're given things. with the Lovecraft story is they you know at some point obviously change and you're told that there are these horrific uh, woodchucks that are out in the woods that are being hunted and awful giant sized rabbits and all the horses are very uncomfortable and eventually you're given kind of an idea that the life has turned into something awful but all the livestock literally disintegrates and you know you have to look at the times and what censoring was he couldn't write this incredibly detailed story of imploding and guts and gore but when you look at at how Richard Stanley handled this, and in some cases, like with Richard, or Richard, with Nick Cage's, I always want to say Nick Cave when I'm discussing Nick Cage, and it's just the complete fucking opposite guy. But as he slowly, like, starts to to change, and you just get, you know, his arms turning gray and kind of uh, crumbling, you kind of get the idea of what Lovecraft kind of meant, that it literally was, you know, rot. And what you're dealing with is this entity, pretty much, is sucking them dry. It's, It's taking everything from them. And, and trying to uh, recreate itself. And that's, again, where a lot of the aspects and ideas from the thing happen because, you know, you get this really lovely, beautiful landscape in this bizarre color, hence the color out of space. And it's this uh, creature attempting to uh, uh, fit in, attempting to become something. One of my favorite parts of the story was this great uh, acknowledgement that somehow it seemed the trees that had come to life on their own and could move without wind. And um, it, it's just brought into the story so horrifically when Stanley decided out to handle of nowhere that. Too. Yeah, I mean it just really like popped out and grabbed you no pun intended and it just it, it filled you for a brief second with absolute fear which is something that kind of encroaches upon you as you read the story because it's even the story itself is very claustrophobic and that happens to be you know a specialty of H.P. Lovecraft as, as a writer and his eloquent use of the English language but regardless uh, all of it's just captured with what Stanley did and when he decided to do it to you instead of just going, mutants! And he did a little bit. I mean, mutant alpacas was a gift I don't think we ever needed. We discussed recently how ridiculous satanic luchadors fighting the three from hell were, and in this movie we have giant mutant alpacas, and this is how you handle something ridiculous. As re- Both of these things together sound laughable. One was handled incredibly poorly by Rob Zombie, this giant mutant alpacas was delicately and beautifully handled by Richard Stanley. And it's it's just the attitude and what you decide to take and apply to what visually needs to be seen by the audience. Probably one of the things 
that I would I don't agree with that he did put in the movie, and this is a, it's a small thing. It's not a, like that big of a deal. Um, he made the the daughter character like a Wiccan, and there's the very whole heavily thing noted Brayton. her being a Wiccan too, which I thought was was. I guess a somewhat unique point because there was a whole conversation about Alexandrian magic, Wiccan magic, and then she's later reading um, the Book of Lies by Crowley. Well, I mean, like I, I the the Wiccan aspects of the character, I don't have a problem with. They add to the story, but when you have that the scene where she starts reading the Necronomicon and she begins to cut herself, it it just feels slightly out of place. I mean, it's it it is in place of the character definitely. I just don't know if it added particularly anything to the story or if it was more of a Stanley kind of pet project to throw in there of concepts and ideas he likes to mess with. It just I don't know if it melded with the story in that sense. It's just mostly that one scene where she's uh, cutting herself and cuts all the symbols into herself. It just it just seemed out of character of the film, not so much the character in the film. I, I couldn't catch what she was invoking, and I assume um, it was something from the Necronomicon, something that was Lovecraftian, and all I could help but think is, was this a possible connection to the hopes of Richard Stanley making another Lovecraftian film, which it's believed he's going to do the Dunwich Horror. I think he's, he's you know said he's going to try and do the Dunwich Horror, and then a third Lovecraftian film after this. So I, I'd like to go back and try and catch, because they were using the the pretty much store-bought copy that you can go find, the mass-produced Necronomicon. So I, I just kind of wonder if it was a nod toward another older god or elder god or something from the giant Cthulhu mythos or the mythos of uh, you know Lovecraft in general that was, like he did the the No Flesh Shall Be Spared nod and just subtle yeah, things I to himself. That. I yeah. mean, that, that's, that's for Stanley fans specifically, I think. <laughs> I clapped. I was so fucking excited. Out of, out of everything in the entire movie, that really tickled me. And it just, I mean, I think the entire movie and even that magical aspect is a nod to not necessarily just his beliefs, but to the whole environment of, of Lovecraft, that it's for some reason taken very scientifically, and it's taken, uh, like I had, had referenced earlier, into this kind of almost cutesy aspect now, and it's a very deeply old world, old religion, um, fantastical, horrifying thing. And it, it, you know, you approach it with something and like making reference to somebody like Aleister Crowley, who's deemed uh, the most evil man in the world or whatever the fuck he used to be called. You conjure up a lot of imagery with the occult and what is quote unquote darkness or whatever. And I think that can grow in an audience member's mind and just, you know, you see, if you understand the reference or you see the pentacle on her foot and you let it, you know, uh, manifest in your mind, you know, germinate a little bit, kind of like the color out of space does to the family. It, it just helps enhance your ideas that you're moving into a, a dark environment with the story, I, I feel. I don't disagree with it being there at all. I just disagree to what importance I kind of threw on threw it into the movie later and I just felt it was a little bit of a distraction to the overall story we're telling. Well, that's what I felt with the time warp thing. You know, that's, that's so, I mean, we're both in agreement that there was a little bit of storytelling faults with, you know, what we saw in the movie. It's just very different places. Minimal. This is minimal bullshit. This yeah. Is mine doesn't like, matter either. I mean, who, uh, the time warp still cool. stuff. Yeah. It's all, I mean, visually the time warp stuff. Um, and just the way that, um, like, honestly, the, way... the, the the point that comes down, I really feel, is Nick. it's Nick Cage. I mean, it has nothing to do with Richard Stanley's directing, his storytelling, or what's visually on screen. I really think what 
gives me that four out of five is instead of a five out of five is just Nick wasn't he could have been anybody else in the movie, but I just don't think he was the best choice as that tone for for the father. And I, I didn't need. I don't know, like some fucking Alan Alda performance or something toned down. I mean, I can't give you any better name brand actor that you could have gotten. And thankfully, this experience is probably not probably. It seems that Richard Stanley has learned to trust again. Uh, I can't paraphrase for him, but I heard an interview where he stated that he now has worked with an A-list actor that, you know, he realizes actors aren't all pieces of shit. And Val (laughs) Kilmer just ruined the man. I mean, that fucking bastard Val Kilmer ruined the man. But you have to give some credit. Richard Stanley said that, you know, he got a bunch of witch friends to put a curse on Val Kilmer. And when you start thinking about when his career went to shit and how he's doing now, you, you kind of can't help but wonder, should you fuck with Richard Stanley? I think not. I, I definitely think not. Cancer. Yeah, he might have given Val Kilmer throat cancer, and he definitely shot some Russians. Um, don't ever forget that Richard Stanley is an absolute badass that ended up stuck in the middle of the Middle East in a fucking multiple-day gun-missile RPG battle uh, during the Russian and Afghanistan quarrels in the nine, or early 80s, 80s. and early to mid-80s. Richard Stanley has been through some fucking shit. This guy is uh, a wizard. He's a wizard. And... And that's not really like being <laughs> over the top. Yeah, I'm, the... I'm not being dramatic. Richard Stanley's <laughs> a, a, a Russian killing wizard, and I'm pretty sure he fucking cursed Val Kilmer's entire career. He's I, He ain't nothing to fuck with. Him and the Wu-Tang Clan are to be feared. And respected. Actually, I could probably give Richard Stanley um, a title he would pretty mu- he would very much approve of, I think. I, he's the uh, the Rasputin of film directors. I like that. I think that's a... <laughs> the best way to describe him. <laughs> I do enjoy that. And it, it's not like he's an evil character. It's not like he's something to truly be feared unless you're Val Kilmer and ruin his goddamn dream of making the Isle of Dr. Moreau. But he just, I don't know, but you watch he's interviews just an with an inma- enigmatic character is what he is. He's just a very intense, um, mysterious person who has a lot of talent and a lot, like way more brains than he knows what to do with. Yeah, watch just interviews with the guy and I don't know, there's just something absolutely beautiful, not even about just the way he speaks, but about the man in general. He just he has a great deal of knowledge that is inside of his head that he, you know, has possessed from his early childhood to now. His mother traveled around Africa with him and as an early child he you know was introduced to witch doctors and voodoo priests and and all of these things that most people think are out of human touch these mystical uh, insane concepts so it's very appropriate that he is you know taking kind of the lead in something that uh, Lovecraft's entire career is just so mystical and bizarre and crazy and it goes into these deep depths of things that you don't think are quite fantastical and that's kind of what Richard Stanley's entire life has been. When you research and read about this guy, it's like, this is stranger than fiction. I can't believe this guy's uh, sitting here smoking a giant joint telling me about H.P. Lovecraft. And that's how it is when you watch him. You're just completely enchanted and, um, you know, entrapped by what he had. Not entrapped, but, you know, uh, just dev- you devour everything the man has to say, I guess, is a, is a better way to put it. And his handling of H.P. Lovecraft. I mean, when you have even just this spiraling uh, spew of what I'm giving out about Richard Stanley, and then you even do five minutes of Lovecraft research and try and figure out how to pronounce Nairolid, Hotep, Nairolid, Hotep, Cthulhu, all of these crazy fucking things, you kind of get it that these guys are just puzzle pieces. They just missed each other by about 100 years. 
Well, like I just um, a few uh, minutes ago before we started the show, I just wanted to bone up a little bit, and I watched an interview with um, Stanley that Collider did. And Collider is a very ridiculous Star Wars-based fucking big-budget movie website, and they happened to get an interview with Richard Stanley yeah, the about Guardian, this film. The, the big, old, poofy Guardian did a whole write-up about Richard Stanley, and it's it's great. Everybody loves to, I guess, poke at what happened with the Isle of Dr. Moreau. And, I mean, I wouldn't look at Val Kilmer. Well, I mean, what's funny about it is when you have, like, people from Collider interviewing Richard Stanley, it's like, oh, you, you don't know what kind of a, a fucking snake you've got your hands on right in here. Um, because you got interviewers who are, like, most used to talking to people about Back to the Future movies and just, you know, just pretty middle mid like uh, you know mainstream things and when you get richard stanley in the room and he starts telling you like stories about fucking voodoo and basically being the crazy motherfucker that richard stanley is it's just seeing these reporters just look at him go yeah yeah what is this guy talking i mean here's a true here's a real richard stanley story the guy ended up taking a load of acid while traveling with a wounded friend on a donkey during a bombing in the middle of afghanistan I mean, and this is a Russian versus Afghani Taliban, they weren't called that at the time, Mujahideen uh, battle. I mean, so these guys are using all-American weapons, probably, just shooting at each other while he high as shits on a donkey with a wounded guy just riding through it all, and he, he survived. True story. He, he did it. He, he fucking filmed it. He's got footage of it. Like, it's insane. <laughs> One of the questions they asked him was, well, do you have a pet? And then he proceeds to tell like a three minute story that's very elaborate and very like, like mystical about his cat. And like the cat approached me on Namsakor and uh, we, we, we were, we were, it's my familiar. And just, I mean, how Richard it's, Stanley uh, like talks and goes into detail up. of things. And they're just like, yeah, we just wanted to know if you had a dog or something. Yeah, no, he lives in a cave he found. Um, doing research on an SS officer who was attempting to find the, you know, pretty much core of life. And, you know, this this translation of the the cup that supposedly, you know, Christ drank from the, the chalice, you know, the whole point of the Indiana Jones movie. But, you know, translations of this word are, are often the wrong and it's actually a stone. Long story short, pretty sure he fucking found it in this cave in France, and he moved there, and that's where he's pretty sure he's, he's, he's doing stuff, and he knows things that none of us know about, about space and stars, and he's going to translate it all with 8th B. Lovecraft stories. I, I swear to God, this is what Richard Stanley's doing. He's going to teach all of us about space, more than Black Science Guy ever could. Neil Grassman? Black Science Guy? I can't Come say on. his name right. Dickhead Science Guy, the guy that tries to ruin movies for fun and isn't as cool as Bill Nye? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, Have you seen him recently Rich- trying to shit all over Dennis Vilvune, you know? That yeah, guy? I mean, it's whatever. It's Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's That's kind his of a name, fucking yeah. Yahoo. Um, I mean, he's he's got things in his past he doesn't want to talk about, but uh, let's, let's get past Neil deGrasse Tyson, and let's get more into Richard Stanley, who's just a very interesting character, and you have to be on kind of I mean, that's what I was point. saying. He's going to teach you more than... Black you have to be guy. on his wavelength if you're going to sit down and have a conversation with him. He will be more than happy to sit down and talk to anyone about anything. And the thing is, is like he's not going to censor what he's talking about. He's not just going to sit there and talk about, oh, do you want to talk about the day and now the rain is? No, he's going to sit there and talk about all kinds of crazy, weird shit and be prepared to listen 
I think that's shown in the style of, of film that he's made, and even looking at the documentaries that he's chosen to make and the, the style that most of them are released in, that's just kind of who he is, and it's not that he's chaotic. I think he's a very fluent force like energy but it's you know energy also is somewhat chaotic and can't truly you know be captured you know even when a human dies the the whole essence of a soul is just your energy which can't be destroyed or go away and he just operates on his own well, terms what you're talking things. about here is he levels it's levels and richard stanley is on a different level than most of the rest of humanity well, you say and levels and it's just reality too is what levels are and he well, that's just, what yeah you know it's not even like a good thing or a bad thing. Like, well, I'm on, I'm on a higher level than you. This is not a dick-waving fucking hierarchy thing. Yeah, and this has nothing to do with some look-ass, third-eye, take-a-lot-of-acid-do-whatever mentality. This can be all achieved on your own. It literally is just what fucking level are you at? What are you thinking about? Yeah, I mean, there's some people who are stuck at fucking level one. There's some people who are between level one and level two. And, like, me and Hank, we're not on the same level as everybody else. And we're not it's on okay. the same level together. You know, we, we have obvious disagreements on things and different philosophies. I mean, this episode, we've had multiple thoughts down to the music that both of us have not met in the middle, but we have complete understanding of. No, I get what you But there's that. a certain respect there because, like, I don't think you're wrong just as much as you don't think I'm wrong. It's just it's a difference of these are truly differences of opinion. This isn't a difference of opinion of. Like someone's sexuality. Well, I just believe you're going to hell and it's a sin. And so it's a difference of opinion. Now, I like that's the subtle soundtrack. Cruel, you person. wanted it a little bit more. You know, this isn't like a, a fight. You know, it's meh. This is like actual differences of opinion, not something that is objectively fucking wrong. This is something that is objectively, or it's not, it's like it's subjective to everyone. And there are different reasons why we think the different patterns that we do. I just happen to be on. A slightly different wavelength than Hank, but we're not far. I'm closer on his wavelength than uh, most fucking anybody else. God, you try to talk to most of humanity lately. Even you know, using social media, even uh, you know, you don't have to use it. You don't have to have a Facebook. Just scroll through. If you have an old account you've not gotten on for a while, just go look at it. And it's not necessarily that everyone's life is mundane. Or I'm trying to say that myself or alexander nash have some greater more exciting existence or level of reality than you different. do yeah it's just different i mean you can take things for skin value and you can you know and i'm not saying that you the audience goes out and complains but for the majority that's what most people do and when you sit and scroll through facebook it's just incessant negativity and when you sit and you scroll through that and you allow that really into your reality all you're doing is surrounding yourself with negativity and you're making that your reality Oh man, so and so's day, blah blah blah, sucked and blah blah blah. Went to work and their kid's sick and 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 the coronavirus and all the shit is just happening. And now you're overwhelmed and you're afraid. And that's not where you need to be, man. What are you afraid of? Go back Let to your reality. You, one of my favorite pastimes it is to get on Yahoo News, click on comments for a story. When you find a particularly crazy or negative comment click on that person and it'll show you all their comments in the last like two or three days and all the stories you that can also on do this Yahoo. on Pornhub well and when you look at their comments it's just like wow you are completely fucking nuts or, or it's just like someone's commenting on the Birds of Prey movie and saying a bunch of negative shit about being woke or SJWs okay I want to see what else you've commented on Oh, you're just genuinely kind of an awful person. You just don't have much happiness. But this is what life. I mean. You're negative about almost everything, aren't you? You just don't like anything. But all these you're people pissy. do 
is spend their entire uh, every second of the day on the internet surrounding themselves by negativity and i'm not saying it's inherently the internet or it's social media but you have to look at the flows of all of these things in your life and even what you're interested in are you you focus and you have all of this surrounding you and then you wonder why you feel bogged down and tense and so upset it's because you have really let all of this just infiltrate your level and where you're at and now you're focused and you're so worried about all of these minuscule things that don't affect you oh my god i can't believe women are taking over the film industry and they're making an all-woman superhero movie where does that affect you i, I mean literally whatsoever and in, in anybody's life unless and... you were well, I mean, that's, that's the only thing I can say back is, and what, what, what's your point? Movies aren't good anymore. No, you don't think movies are good anymore. Who I mean, cares? But the only way think? that that could affect you that I would even uh, somewhat acknowledge as it affecting you is if you were like the next superhero male lead that lost out to the role. And then maybe, you know, like Jared Leto, I can somewhat understand his bitching about superhero movies. OK, you're kind of a pig shit dick, but you have a mild valid point here. But when it's Joe Schmo from Indiana uh, bitching about one second women ruining fucking movies and then the next second Mexicans are going to steal my freedom. Uh, what are you so afraid of that you just have to come and spew negativity and that is your focal point in life is just making other people afraid what is wrong where goddamn hug well it all goes back to the um the parasite debacle that's been going on the last couple weeks people talking about how can parasite be the greatest movie of 2019 when all these other things like joker are nominated and it is an american who made it and an american should be awarded like did you see Paris? I haven't even seen Paris. But, but what does that best. have to do with the Academy? I mean, I, I, I guess, you know, and I try and, and you're just wrong. Parasite's a way better movie than Joker. It just is. Well, for I mean, I get all reasons. these I get all these arguments, but there are rules and formats to the Academy and all these people's anger. So and so wasn't included or brought up or talked about. And I don't understand why this movie won because it was nominated and because somebody from that country started a, a do you not understand how these fucking things work it's not like it's a random tv show the academy awards aren't here for your entertainment they're awards for people in this industry that apply to these rules and that work and vote and give it deal. to each other yeah I, well that's what they're it's, doing i mean it's, it's not a popular vote thing yeah it has it's not fucking politics it's they're doing this thing and decided we're gonna put it on tv and you fuckers watch it now let me like, and we can even go. I will go through all the best picture nominees, dude. I haven't like, even. I don't know when this episode will actually come out, um, but it will be sometime in March, and I probably still won't have fucking seen Parasite. It, it and and that's how little it, I care about Academy matter, Award winning like, movies. Out of out of all the movies that are nominated, you have this what I deem kind of a mediocrely made movie that everybody obsessed about in Joker, but it was just kind of a whatever drab movie. I didn't think it was terrible, but I didn't think it was great. It's, I, 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 you know, and I've gotten a little flack over this since we released that episode. I guess, I mean, people felt we misspoke. I don't regret anything we said, but it wasn't a bad movie. I don't know why that was taken from our review. What we tried to make clear is, the wrong people took the message uh, for the wrong reasons. It's a great movie. Todd Phillips is a great guy. He We said that over and over again. He's really talented. He shoots one it's heck a of a picture. It's a three out of five, man, at best. Yeah, it's, it's an okay fine. movie. I didn't think it was terrible. It's just like, it just kind of like. I've seen very Taxi mediocre. Driver. It didn't do anything for me. I mean, I, and I feel that it's made for people kind of in our spot that, you know, it's supposed to approach the the jaded uh, growing, you know, we're not the youth anymore. We're that middle area of feeling fucked over. And I get it. I get your entire message. It just wasn't, you know, I, I guess I'm not a man who's tired of it all. I don't know. 
Well, I mean, you had, what, 1917, which was a really well-shot film, and it won Best Cinematography. But the movie itself was kind of boring, and it was just another goddamn war movie. And you had Ford versus Ferrari, a boring drama about... I mean, it's not that it's bad. It's just, like, it's a movie about fucking people battling over who had the better car. But what was the commentary, you know? What was the the deeper, uh, more important... There isn't one. Exactly. There's no educational, deeper message into it. And from what I can gather from Parasite, and it's not like I'm avoiding it because it's an Academy Award winner, I just... It doesn't seem like something I'm, I'm super interested in right now. It just doesn't... I'll get to And it. you don't have to be. It's not about that. It's just that all the things that were nominated were like they didn't really have anything to say. A good it's portion of them didn't have anything to say. Well, I mean the the ideology I think behind most complaints are people are mad of where the movie came from and it's not a, an American speaking movie. And all of I just can't argue with these people. I can't take this. I'm not gonna sit down <laughs> most and... American most English language films this year sucked. They sucked in 2019. There were like maybe four or five American films that were actually pretty good, and the rest of them sucked. I'm just tired of the argument and even trying to have it with people because I don't feel that's even a, a normal complaint. You know, what does that have to do anything? And I mean, even going back to my rant about the Academy, it's the Academy. You could join the Academy, goddammit. I mean, if you care so much about these movies and it's so important to you, then fucking join the Academy and become a boom grip for, for three years and, and learn to do something and then vote in the Academy and tell me how much you fucking are affected by this. And this is just like, you know, going to the original part of where this rant took out of control with all of us is people complaining i mean just even going through and looking at people on yahoo or whatever form of media like pornhub you want to find your comments on that's all it is and will spiral out of control is to immediately something about superheroes it's just that's all it's going to be is somebody very very upset over the direction superheroes are going in or star wars don't worry about the star wars that's the same thing to me i mean the jedi is superman superheroes whatever i mean all it is is this fantastical debating point of you're taking my childhood away and making it women and didn't your mom letting them take your childhood away well most of these people that are mad about uh, heroes being women are still living with their mom and it's like so where what what's your problem? You know, and I'm not trying to say everyone that argues is a, a basement dwelling troll because unfortunately a lot of these people are 45, 50 year old fucking businessmen and and just average joes with a wife and five kids who are dedicating their time to just being an asshole on the internet. So you can't really just say it's trolls anymore. It's it's everything. well, I don't know. Um, all the women birds of prey. I can't really jerk off to them. Where's all the titty? There's there's plenty of it in the film if you look at all the the costume designs. Nah, that ain't good enough. Really? That's why it's woke. You didn't, they didn't show enough titty. Uh, I'm sorry. But you I'm put sorry in the a movie giant was bad for you now. Dick for 0.8 seconds and it will ruin <laughs> the movie for people. One fucking cock will will ruin an entire movie for some people and it's just baffling. These are the same people that will insist uh, on coming in a woman's mouth, but if they try to kiss them afterward, we'll just, you know, tight lip, walk away. Don't fucking touch me. These, you're the same people. You're those people. Well, you you brought fucking up, you assholes. an interesting point up, though. Like, Watchmen, it's a Zack Snyder film. It's got some problems, but the overall story, Alan Moore's story, fine, whatever. But no one ever discusses the aspects of that when they talk about Watchmen. All they ever say is, blue dick. I'm like, was it that... Like, like, did it bother you that much that it had blue dick in it that it, like, fucking 
15 years later, we're still talking about giant blue dick. Who cares? Well, I mean, it's not like it was done in immaculate detail with giant veins and a foreskin. It, it was just a fucking shape on screen. It's and it's, dick! The guy it's managed to become like a manifestation of energy and without having a shape or form and became like this actual living god and you took the blue dick out of it. I mean, the guy literally lost shape and form and became pure fucking, like, manifested energy, and you just took the dick. And that's just, and that's even, like, uh, dragging this goddamn, back to slouching forward toward Bethlehem with going back to the color out of space. That's truly, I think, what Richard Stanley managed to do was take away all the things that you would look at, and, like, with uh, the Will Wheaton movie that you had brought up. Uh, just the horror aspect of uh, mutation and the family going insane and the people uh, breaking apart and losing their identities. He took all of these absolutely insane things and managed to capture it with an adequate amount of violence and gore, which allowed you to uh, fall into the horror category, but still gave you such a um, ma manipulated, uh, well, layered story. You managed to get truly, I think, a great drama piece out of it. Yes, because it's a very the way it was told. What Richard Stanley told is a very emotional story because it focuses so heavily on the family dynamics and what happens within this family. That is what makes the movie frightening. That is what makes the movie beautiful. That's what makes the movie everything that it is. We're not focusing slow, solely on special effects. We're not focusing. We're focusing on all different aspects, and emotion is a very big one of those. If you don't have emotion, emotions in a movie, then what do you got? You got nothing. And that's what he got more right than anything was just putting so much, um, so many different emotions, like from happiness to absolute grief and stringing you along. And this, I mean, that's the, the, the true testament of a good writer. Well, I mean, let's look at the introduction to this family that the first character we're, we're seeing is doing a ritual. So you've got this ooky spooky, uh, it's satanic, whatever direction you want to take with it. But she's doing a ritual of protection for her mother who is suffering from cancer and wants her to be better. And she even states later to her brother that, you know, I don't do curses. That comes back three times that uh, you're given a glimpse that these are caring, loving people and that they're supportive, caring, loving people. So. Even with the absolute over-the-top nature of Nick Cave, if you can take even that like, that introduction and that allowance to see who these people are, you, you, you know at some point that they were all each other had, and they, at the end of the day, loved each other. And like the scene where he comes back with the bottle of wine and goes, you know, you know what time it is? It's time to do the dishes! You, they love each other, no matter how much uh, the bitchy teenage uh, daughter argues and the stoner brother is dismissive and doesn't care. They all, at the end of the day, love each other. And even that scene is emphasized further with the mother's distance glance and her not um, you know, feeling who she is, which uh, you, know, you were shown before that, all of them drinking the water. And you just get every single piece of the story very deeply translated into screen time. And that's the challenging thing, I think, for any director is to take that written word and to show somebody that and that's immaculately what Richard Stanley did I mean it 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 really comes down to just Nick Cave Cage God if it was Nick Cave it would have been so much more subtle I, I wish it had been Nick Cave actually but uh, Nick Cage's performance it's just it's not bad but it's just ah. well I mean and big props to Richard Stanley for having the balls to take a Lovecraft story to its ultimate end where it needs to go, which is pretty much doom and gloom. Cause as Stanley has done before, he does things in a spiral and this film is a spiral as well. It's just a spiral all the way down. 
and compared to something like the curse the will wheaton film um there's hope in that film because will wheaton lives at the end he saves his little sister and um, maybe the um the the infection is not contained but i mean at least there's some hope of some people living and in this film there's no hope of that this is like this i think there's a hope but i pure lovecraft I think the hope is a little bit more uh, dark and allows you to see he's creating a, a stepping stone or a future environment for more things to do because you've got that really semi, well, not semi, that very nihilistic ending. And one of the problems that I um I should have mentioned throughout this entire show, there's supposed to be a dam that's being built this entire time that is not really brought up until the ending and, unless you can see the deleted scenes. And that helps drive the Lovecraft story that this fear that this is going to get out because the dam is going to cover this whole area and we've been told the entire story this thing is pretty much dwelling in the well, that it's the water source that's giving it life. So by creating this dam, the horror aspect just grows completely out of control because uh, even the story mentions it grows like one inch a year. So with the dam, it's just going to keep keep growing. And you get it at the very end of the story, and it's not nearly as impactful if it had been pressed well, I think, once or twice more. I mean, it might be just because I have previous experience with the story that I that was understood to me because I don't remember it lacking any like mention of the dam. But I think it's sufficient enough at the ending that, you know, there's a little there's a little hook at the end of the story saying, well, you know, they're building a dam and this. I'll never drink the water in Arkham. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's there. But I feel it's, it's just, building it the story for through. Stanley too. I think it's putting him out there to do, you know, the Dunwich horror, which again, you know, connects deeply to water and this could all progress through it because one thing that was handled just absolutely beautifully is you were given a true idea. One of my favorite parts of the movie, truly um, when the daughter kind of lets Ward see where this 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 being where the color came from you were just given i think just the closest to uh, lovecraft when i think of lovecraft when i close my eyes and i read his stories you got that glimpse of their planet and their home world and this strange just not just tentacle monsters but this roaming shapeless kind of fear you don't know where it begins where it ends and that is Lovecraft. It's just this big black mass of fear that has no beginning and end and is always there and is eternal and being able to actually show that even in a glimpse the way he handled that with uh, you know that, that weird time warp ending where Ward is attempting to escape and still trying to be the humane hero that we've been presented with. So his fight or, fight or flight kicks in and you get that you know great glimpse of there's going to be more. This is There's a future to this. Richard Stanley's putting it in here man he's putting work in he's changing your concept he's letting you relive the fear of lovecraft he's reintroducing fear to lovecraft and i think like ultimately what you get with this richard stanley film is you show the power of him as a writer and a director of taking what essentially is like people might disagree with me but it's essentially minor lovecraft i wouldn't call this one of the major lovecraft stories this is not it's not in the mountains of madness. madness yeah it's not um Oh God! Uh, fucking shadows are in uh, shadow of Ren's mouth. It's not Call of Cthulhu. It's none of the, like the big major stuff. I think the big thing with the canon of H.P. Lovecraft is Cthulhu, and I think a lot of the fandom comes to that, and that's what most people want, what most people imagine. And his career was just absolutely sprawling, and the man only wrote one, you know, real novel and novella his entire life, which was in the Mountains of Madness, which is you know was used as an early influence for the thing. 
the novel the novelization the thing from the other world in the original movie and came back even deeper with the John Carpenter film but most everything he wrote was you know 30 pages it so and was for pulp magazines and was read bi-weekly bi-monthly and you would get these bits and pieces of it and you know guys like Stephen King Clive Barker their entire careers came from where H.P. Lovecraft pieced things together, you know, because he created Arkham, he created Miskatonic University, all these things that so many horror fans have heard, but don't always know where they came from directly. And, you know, the whole concept of connecting things, like Stephen King's whole career is, uh, you know, his towns and all of these horrifying things happening in Maine. And, I mean, that is a direct uh, influence of H.P. Lovecraft. You know, um, uh, Clive Barker's visualizations, a lot of his creations and, you know, he'll say himself, his careers, all of these guys, Philip Nutman, the early splatterpunk guys like Craig Spector, all of them give Lovecraft the, the biggest credit. And you can see it deeply in all of their careers. And I think, you know, not trying to shit on all the people I just named, but when you go back and you, you read Lovecraft and you look at these nameless terrors and shapes and monsters and these horrific ideas and his interconnections of Miskatonic and Arkham and Dunwich and, and all of New England is just this horrifying place that tends to be scarier and have almost a purity to it that is, is long gone. And being able to update it like Richard Stanley has done, it, I, I really think has returned horror to something that people almost think is hokey nowadays, that people look at the name H.P. Lovecraft as like a hot topic, Spencer's Gift kind of novelty name. And uh, it's certainly not. It's It's the emphasis of fucking i mean you've got edgar Allan poe and then hp lovecraft those are the emphasis of american early fear and bringing it back to that is fucking awesome i mean really well and doing awesome. it it's well a great movie really helps the whole thing out is actually taking something like the color of space which is honestly a, a bit of a confusing story just in the way it's told and really can't really peg down what has happened or what is happening just things are happening and for him to be able to take all that and put it in a coherent cohesive package like he did in this two-hour movie it it really says something as a director it's a story of a guy who is told a story that scares him so much he quits his job and then recants the story so Richard Stanley managed to take that and no matter how great of a wordsmith H.P. Lovecraft was what you're dealing with is somebody telling a story and somebody retelling the story. And he managed to give all of that to you by telling the story, you know, full frontal, by giving you immediately what you needed to see, when you needed to see it, and, you know, changing a lot of things. So instead of a, a, a pale and a light being changed into one thing, he changed some people into one thing. Taking these liberties, filling the holes you know, even with like the, the mild complaint that you had with music and then mine with the time warp aspect, all of these things are so incredibly necessary to metamorphose not just the characters and the story, but you, the audience, into believing the ending. I mean, because if at the beginning of this movie you're expected to believe the things you're given at the end, that's ludicrous. So if you were just shown the beginning and end of this movie, it would just be ridiculous. And the magic is what Stanley did to compose and to take the story. Because if you would just take the beginning and end and read the Lovecraft story and try and make sense of it, you'd just, you'd be broken. You have to have the traveling piece. Did you, uh, did you notice the uh, Richard Stanley kind of hallmark stamp of approval that he's stuck in the film at the end when um, it all fades to white, which is, Richard Stanley always, in most of his movies at least, tries to put 
frames of white or fading out into bright white or showing a film strip being kind of basically taking you out of the story he's just told to tell you about the different levels of like of reality that you're experiencing. This is a film. This is um, a work of fiction, but also this work of fiction travels out into the real world as well as your world. Uh, it's just, it's a little stamp that he throws into a lot of his movies. And it just kind of made me smile at the end to see him use that big, big uh, white dissolve at the end. Cause he just always kind of throws something like that. And I'm glad he actually got to do it this time as well. Something personal about Richard Stanley that um, I've just noticed over the years of watching interviews with him and listening to him talk and listening to the man speak. He, uh, he references reality, references life uh, directly as a film. You know, when, when he's talking about his memories, when he's talking about uh, things that he's done, he'll, you know, uh, the scene went to black. So he went to sleep, he got knocked out, something. You have to really cut away and, and look at the terms and, and how he speaks, and he literally speaks of life entirely as a script, as a film. And I, I think it's an absolutely intriguing idea because it, when you love something as, as motion picture, as your, your purest form of art, that's really all it is. I mean, I know personally between me and you, for a decade plus, all we mostly talk about is movies because that's pretty much what fills our time. And it's, you know, not some lazy aspect of we sit around a smoke pot and watch movies. All we've decided to do is, is take in this form of art. And it's the only way you can do it is by actually visualizing it. And when you go out into your daily life and you start thinking of, of how you meet people and going to the grocery store and being at home, all it is is scenes and cuts and a movie. And it's just something... I've always well, found film is reality and reality is film. I mean, it's just and as film is as art that. and art is dangerous and reality is dangerous. But what I've mostly taken from it is almost something beautifully meditative. Uh, just as somebody who's passionate about film and passionate about Richard Stanley is truly everything is a scene and everything uh, you can call cut. You can fade to white. You can have these. Uh, intermingling ideas of realities constantly shifting. You don't have to be on one level all the time. You can go lower. You can go higher. You can stay in between. You can regress and you can progress. It, it's just a matter of what you want. And it's just a matter of truly where you want to be in your mentality and your thoughts. And that is, again, like with, I guess the more I think about it, like my complaint with the time warp angle in the movie, I, that's something that's truly. That's a perceived. Stanley thing that he's in. Yeah. I mean, it's well, not I mean, a it, it's present in, in, in Dust Devil. I mean, when they're out in the storm and, and the, the literal Dust Devil's whipping around and he's trying to find his wife, they don't know how long they've been out there. I mean, it's a, a concept of truly what is time, and it's a man-made, bastardized thing that has no real bearing or place in space or anything with animal life. Nothing else comprehends man-made time outside of us because it's a boundary that people have set onto each other, and you have to try and accentuate the freedom of time but how do you do it when you have to do a movie in at least two hours so you get what you get and you got the color out of space i do deeply hope that there will be you know like midsummer some ridiculous in the ass director's cut i'd love to to sit and deal with this for a couple more hours but again i could do that with anything richard stanley richard stanley and frank hindenlotter are the two guys i could sit and just immerse myself with forever those are two incredibly opposing views. Man. Yeah, I really got Floyd <laughs> and uh, everybody else under it. You know what I mean? It's it's a good back and forth. But I I wouldn't disagree. I can I can get into all those directors. I can get into most stuff like that. I mean, it's just 
it's what level are you on? I think and that was my longest like rant that actually was coherent and you know, <laughs> like it, it had a beginning, middle and end. It wasn't uh, political. Yeah, that was like my best rant so far. And it was like, somewhat positive. I'm getting progressively on, on team positivity. And I don't like wanna again, I, I I made fun of fucking hippies earlier. It's not some goddamn hippie bullshit. It's not even some Tommy Chong bullshit. You immerse yourself in negativity. Why do you think your days suck? If all you're gonna do is sit and read people complain and listen to podcasts or people complain and, and, and just deal with that, what are you gaining? I mean, tonight, sure, we had some discrepancies with the movie. We weren't entirely pro color out of space, but at the same time, we were constructive and attempted well, to have. How can you be? It's a piece of artwork. How can you resounding and be like, "Well, that's just there is no that's problems with that want. at all." That's what people just want. I- is it good? Should I watch it? And then they sit I down mean, and watch it. And like this happened with uh, Midsummer and uh, no, what was it? We did. I don't know. We did a double feature. Uh, yes, it was. It was The Witch and the Devils. We did that double feature, and one of my friends listened to that episode and came back to me and said, well, you put it on your show, so I thought they'd be good. And I watched those movies, and they both fucking sucked. And I, I never goddamn once said The Witch. Well, I think I say The Witch is pretty good all the time. I'm sorry. Okay, I, I definitely do say those movies are good. But that wasn't the point. If that's what you took from the two-hour fucking episode of us, you know, deeply trying to give you different opinions on the matter, that you've missed the entire point of this. It wasn't a matter of, well, uh, uh, you said the witch was good. Well, yes, I, I kind of think the witch is good, but I don't know if you're going to. I mean, that was the point of the show. Oh, when, I, when I, there's this moves to anyone, you have to have caveats. You have to know who the like. I when people ask me, well, tell me a good movie to watch. Tell me a good horror movie to I watch. I don't know what to tell you. What do you like? Tell me any movie that you like. Well, I really like Dirty Dancing. Okay, horror movie you'll like. Uh, I will give you something incredibly surface. I will not try to like challenge you. Well, no, I want to hear if your favorite anything. movie is Dirty Dancing. What what horror movie would you recommend? I'd like to know this now. With Dirty Dancing? Oh, God. Give, you got to give me a second. It would probably be something... Like I'm trying to think too, and I'm just like, uh, what is, would, like, is there? Like a, as a far dancing? as I would go, would be something like Reanimator. Well, see, Reanimator like... is so incredibly violent. I'm thinking with Dirty Dancing, you know, something that involved dancing, and I can't. Is there a dancing horror film? Well, you could do that uh, thing that came out last year. I cannot remember the name of it. Alice or Anne? It's the the British zombie musical film. Oh, I have no idea like what you're talking year. about. And so now I'm somewhat I not remember the name of it. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, I've heard really great things about it that people loved it. Well, I have an antenna and I keep it at certain levels. And I think at one point I, my antenna was much higher than yours. And I would look up all the horror movie news and I would look up all these current events. And now I've shrunk mine. And we're getting into Cronenberg territory here, which is somebody very compatible with Richard Stanley. And this is a Cronenberg term, your antenna. I don't want the negativity anymore. I miss out on so much because all it is is encompassing negativity. Even using Facebook, Bloody Disgusting can post a new article about an upcoming horror movie, and all the joy will be ruined the second you click the comments. And it's just Joe Schmo and their negativity being negative. And, and I just I avoid it. When I find something like The Color Out of Space that I was waiting for, I was excited for, I could pre-order, I sat on my thumbs, and I, I chose to ignore 
the outside world. And now that the movie, you know, that we're doing this, that we've talked about it, and I've looked at other people's reviews, and I've gotten to read other people's understanding, it just makes me hate everyone more and want to shrink my antenna. <laughs> well, like, um, I read a review of um, getting back to Parasite very briefly. There was a review on the National Interest, which uh, it's a very far right-leaning uh, website. And I just wanted to see what, you know, a very, very conservative person thought about it hated every second of it and <laughs> it was just it was, i found the whole article really humorous and very negative of like reading what your synopsis is and what you felt about it, you understood nothing about that film it was all surface level and I really you have just to go goddamn see this movie don't i you might have to. I don't know. I'm not going to force you to do anything. But yeah, just, just the more you reference it, I mean, this is like the third episode in a row we've gotten back to Parasite Talk. So obviously we have to have – there's going to be a discourse once I see it because the more you talk about it, the more it's like, well, what the yeah, – you you keep coming back to something is always something unique because there's got to be some diamond in the rough with this that it will end up you know doing five hours on. Well, I mean it is a very political film at times. I mean the whole – premise of the film is somewhat political but not even politics in a left or right thing is about class and class consciousness but maybe it's when good you i've have, not seen it you have no class consciousness and you interpret the film this way that tells me that like your brain is not functioning correctly like you are so locked in your own biases that you can't even like watch a film and get anything from it you're just immediately shooting down everything that you don't agree with like one of the things i will just bring up is he well the uh the low cl lower class, like more middle class family in Parasite, they were evil like assholes and they were being like looked at as the heroes of the film. Like then obviously you didn't pay any attention because they're just as much of a villain in the film as anyone else is. All the different levels of class in the film are portrayed in somewhat negative light, but it's none of their fault particularly. I mean, it's a whole thing. You'd have to get into the premise of the film, but which but your review of this tells me you have no idea what is being discussed in this film, nor can you interpret any of it correctly. You hated every second of it because it didn't tell you what you wanted to hear. So it's like that Kurosawa movie where uh, it's everybody's perspectives on a different day or that William Faulkner story where it's everybody's different perspectives. Well, I mean, I mean, as far such as such vague fucking references. Uh, wow, I, I'm not I'm not even going to correct myself now that I've made such a vague reference to two absolutely completely different writers. I, I'm not even going to say it. <laughs> I, I'm proud of such a bizarre reference now. I mean, the idea of the film is very, like, basically stated. I mean, it is what it is. The film is what it is. I mean, it's well, not meant, up, really up for interpretation. But if you can interpret it this way yourself, it tells me you are, like, you're uh, no, so no, no, no. Um, I, I guess I meant from, from the character's interpretation. Each person is shown differently, it seems. Each, each well, character. You have to get or... to the actual film here. It's okay, not, yeah. it's not I, that I, they're I was trying good to pad, or bad. I'm padding it's wrong. It's that. Yeah, well, I mean, everybody has their own positive and negative traits in the film. Not one person is a great protagonist, nor are they the the worst villain. And that's really what I mean, and what we're what it's examining with those with those archetypes. And if you don't get that, then you're not going to get the movie. That kind of everybody's an asshole in the movie. Well, you're saying just low class people are heroes. It's like that. It's not even close to what the movie is about. Not even a smidge of what the movie is about. So I liked the color out of space. I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> I thought it was a good movie. But anyway, yes. Yeah, I, so, and I'm just, you know, suggested. and it's funny, we were it discussing 
Well, we brought up before the show you had wanted to, to reference the Will Wheaton movie, and I haven't seen it, and, and all I could remember is Will Wheaton was in it. So I was worried about, like, I don't know, how are we going to pad that? Am I going to talk about it? And, you know, the, the whole Parasite thing is now throwing me off because I really, and it's not, a, it, I, I don't even know how to defend myself. I've heard about the movie, and I think that's the problem. One of our friends, Chance, has even said, you should watch this movie. You've told me Chance wants everybody to watch this movie. Nine other people have told me, you got to sit down and watch Parasite. And unfortunately, when you do that, you know, like, Hank Brain kicks in, and I'm like, eh, I'm not going to watch it. You, you, everybody tell <laughs> It sounds like everybody wants me to watch this, so I'm going to wait five fucking years to see it and then be like, hey, did you guys see pretty much what I did with Jordan Peele? You know, like, hey, did you guys see his movies? They were great, right? They were they were awesome. I, I, I'll get to it. And it's now so much past the point. I'm just trying to recover from not knowing anything about Parasite so I could wrap this back into the color out of space. So I'm just going to just just stop the car and go back to the color out of space. Um, it was it was. It was beyond, I think, my second viewing, my expectations. When I watched it the first time, and, and we'll just be honest, I have refused to familiarize myself with anything involving this because of my excitement. I haven't gone back and watched Dust Devil three times. I didn't go reread the story. I pre-ordered it. It, it came, and I sat and watched it. And, and, and I took from a no... In, in, no knowledge, you know. All I, I could remember certain aspects of the story. There were things that that popped into mind as they were shown on screen, but a lot of it definitely was forgotten. So just you know, loosely trying to say with no previous knowledge, um, you know, far enough back. I hadn't read it for for four or five years, so I took it at that face level, and I had some some issues. I had some problems with it, and I still really really enjoyed it. So I'm feeling you know the average audience, the Netflix audience, the the streaming audience, the negative spewing audience that sits on Facebook and bitches about things. Overall complaints, uh, I just think, are easily dismissed because you've missed the actual point. You didn't watch the movie. And yes, I will admit, I went back and read the H.P. Lovecraft story and then watched the movie again. And it, I truly think he captured, with, with upon you know, doing these two things, Absolutely everything. Everything in the story and everything necessary, 100%, was, uh, if, if not captured, evolved into uh, what he could show you and what he could present to you applicably in the venue in which he had. And by far, out of fucking every other Lovecraft translation, I think this is the most accurate to H.P. Lovecraft's work. Yeah, basically. I mean, you always have to kind of spice it up a little bit when you're doing Lovecraft or you're just Time not going to get much out of it. But overall, I think Stanley's done a tremendous job. I think Stuart Gordon did a tremendous job. And then a lot of the yeah, rest of it. I don't want to like dissuade anyone from enjoying Reanimator. I just think this, I mean, Re Reanimator's uh, like a 12, 13 page story. And what Stuart Gordon did is, is vastly different i mean and it's its own environment um, it's its own well, like retelling. even from beyond it's like a five-page story but he was able to capture a lovecraftian vibe and a lovecraftian idea with it and the same thing with dagon um i'm just saying in general as far as lovecraft adaptations go these two directors have done a tremendous job of getting kind of to the heart of lovecraft and a lot of the other ones just really haven't i mean did you see the unnameable and what truly, a terrible fucking film well, I mean, even like Cellar Dweller is somewhat Lovecraftian, but I, I think truly what was captured here was fear. 
And that is is what H.P. Lovecraft's entire career was. He is terrifying, and some of the aspects and questions and the great unknown that he wrote about is just terrifying. And it's just so hard to give somebody a book and say, well, read this, and well, what's a nameless terror, and how do I say Cthulhu? That's not the point. It's the terror, and I think what Stanley wanted to do and his biggest emphasis here was retranslate something for a modern audience that doesn't necessarily want to sit down and read. So uh, the horror, the fear, the absolute joy of that fear can be translated to a new audience, which is even something we want to do with the Video Nasty show. You know, we're, we're trying to talk about movies even the ones that we choose to review for fun, you know, on shows where we do five or six movies, what we try to do is at least accentuate our ideas and uh, some positive notion to make you want to watch it and not just to sit and waste time. It's, it's, it's viewing a form of art and looking at the integrity that was put into the writing, the directing, whatever. And what Stanley has done is taken all the integrity from H.P. Lovecraft and the fear behind what, I think his emphasis was. I mean, the guy was the greatest American horror writer, in my opinion, and he's just taken it and put it on screen. And he's, it's great. I mean, it's, hey, what more do you want? What, it's fucking scary. What about, what about Dean Koontz? I like Dean Koontz. TikTok. It's a good story. A doll <laughs> drives a Mack truck, it keeps growing in size. My favorite thing about Dean Koontz is when you look at pictures of him in the 80s and then you look at pictures of him now. I don't know what that's a reference to. He's got like a tribble. Uh, it's growing on his head. He uh, was completely bald years ago, and now he's Jordy Farrell, which is another great story about a meteorite fucking someone over. All right, I think that's going to wrap her the fuck up. We really like Richard Stanley, and I think we hate everything else. And we'd, we'd seem to really not like negativity. At least I don't. I'm going to start wearing crystals and chanting in the next three or four episodes, I'm sure. I'm about 50-50 on negativity. As long as you have a point, I don't have... When you don't have a point, I just... That's what I I mean. All all of these complaints, and and going back to our our dual ranting earlier, it was like the dual banjos from Deliverance. You were the acoustic guitar rant, and I was the banjo rant. Um, Because I will always be the the toothless inbred. You're made out of gold. I said it before I get to be Ronnie Cox. Yeah, I guess I got the upper hand. Wow. Oh, nice. dude, um, I get to be, uh, what's well, I, his I mean, face? <laughs> I, well, if I had to be somebody from Deliverance. What's shit. his name from fucking Total Recall? I fucked up my joke reference. Ronnie and I'm Cox. Completely, it's, it's not the character's name in Total Recall. A dick? Ronnie um, Cox. Is it Quado? No, that's the that's the uh, the baby midget in the belly. I can't remember. Oh, wait, no, I was thinking Ro- RoboCop, not Total Recall. I'm thinking Total Recall RoboCop. It's uh, Ronnie Cox is you know. in them both though, and that's an easy problem. More Ronnie Cox in movies. I don't care. He's 95 years old. I thought he was dead. He might be. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so anyhow, it's not that we hate negativity. We just hate people that are stupid assholes that bitch about why they don't like women superheroes. And if that's you, shut the fuck up. I guess. It's not a matter of just oh we don't like negativity. We just don't like stupid assholes. There you go. Is it Cohagen? I think it's Cohagen. Oh, yeah. No, it's Cohagen. Yeah, it is. Woo! I figured it out. Oh, which is weird, I mean, because we thought we were supposed to know this. It just takes me... I've got, like... I got 
It's definitely Cohagen. It yeah, it is. I got 20 years of resin working overtime here, so what are you gonna do? So I guess that'll do it. I think um, I don't know. Maybe we can cuddle up and watch a Richard Stanley movie. This is a bad. No, we're gonna, uh, so, uh, uh, wait a. Uh. <laughs> so much that as this has to be cut. That was a me. Yeah. That's a bad date. Yeah. Okay. So I guess this is the official outro for the show now because all of that's going to be cut we'll leave this <laughs> end to let the audience know there was something awful that they could have heard but yeah i guess so now the, the bottle's empty the ashtray's full we could go on with richard stanley we could just you know go on and it's that it's one of those topics i don't want to champion and cheerlead it too much and put a bad taste in other people's mouth uh, this guy talks about it all the fucking time so meh Check it out on your own. Check anything out on your own. Uh, I know because of, of this, thankfully, Richard Stanley's previous work will now become easier for people to get, and that's a great thing. Uh, support Richard Stanley. Follow him. Check him out. Look, if you find this wizard of a man we've spoken of interesting, he needs your support. If anyone truly does, God, I mean, look at this movie and tell me you wouldn't want more from Richard Stanley. Look at his previous work and tell me you wouldn't want more from this guy. I certainly do, and I I really, really hope we do. Spectre Vision, all you guys out there, Elijah Wood, all of you that could listen to this and be hashtagged, please give Richard Stanley more money and let him make more movies. Good night. Well, now it's time to say goodbye to the chicken Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. <laughs>